Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Animation Fascination. I'm Mark Vibber, and with me again, as always, is Matt Quest. Hello! Uh, and today we have a special guest, the host of Masterpiece Cinema, Josh Spiegel. Hey, how you doing? And if you guys haven't listened to the show before, this podcast focuses on the world of animation. Each episode, we feature an animated series or film from the past or present. Whether it's traditionally hand-drawn, computer-generated, or stop-motion, if it's animated, it's up for discussion. And we'll be back in a few seconds talking about the new releases for this week. I have often dreamed of a far-off place Where a great warm welcome will be waiting for me Where the crowds will cheer when they see my face And the voice keeps saying, this is where I'm meant to be The new releases this week are Rocco's Modern Life Complete Series on DVD, which will be coming out on the 26th, and Escape from Planet Earth just came out in theaters this past week. Rocco's Modern Life Complete Series, they've been releasing the, the seasons as they came out through Shop Factory, but now they put out the entire series, and on there, there's a Wacky Deli live 2012 with Joe Murray and the cast, which is kind of like a retrospective talking about the series and everybody that was involved with it, like Tom Kenny and everybody <laughs> that was involved with it, kind of talking about the series and what went to the concept of it and and everything like that. Did you guys watch this while, while it was on TV? or? Oh, I, yeah, I, I loved it. I watched it when I was a kid. It was one of those shows that back when Nickelodeon was a network that didn't fill me with revulsion yeah. <laughs> was, uh, this was what this was one of those shows that i just i couldn't get enough of when i was a kid it was kind of like in that, that same vein as like ren and stimpy where like the at least the animation style for it it was like one of the first like cartoons i can remember that had that like adult humor to it that like you know it wasn't just aimed at, at kids which seems to make sense with where the people from that show went on to the other shows that they did like uh, spongebob and then uh a few of the guys that worked on this then worked on Family Guy and and then I want to I don't remember which one it was Dan Povenmire Jeff Swampy Marsh worked on this show too and now they work on Phineas and Ferb so you can kind of see the, the evolution of their their humor with their animated series that they've worked on so this is definitely a good DVD to pick up if if you watched the series and you're a huge fan of Rocco's Modern Life. Like I said, there's that feature on there. Then there's behind the character shorts. So, like, different shorts with the different characters like Huffer and Filbert and Spunky and Mr. and Mrs. Big Head. <laughs> uh, and then there's commentary on a few of the episodes in season three. And then there's Trash O' Madness, the origin original pilot version of that episode, too. So, definitely worth checking out. The next thing we're going to be talking about is Escape from Planet Earth which just came out in theaters this week. It's it's from Rainmaker Studios, or Rainmaker Entertainment, sorry about that. It's their first feature film that they've done, and I went and saw it with my son this morning. He enjoyed it a lot. I liked some of the, the little jokes in there where, like, where the aliens had invented certain things, and apparently aliens also invented computer animation. <laughs> so when they did that, they showed a picture of one of the aliens with John Lasseter in front of Pixar. So I thought that was kind of funny that that they referenced Pixar in that little spot in the movie. The director that was uh, Cal Brunker, who previously worked uh, as a storyboard 
designer on Despicable Me, Horton Hears a Who, and Ice Age Continental Drift. The voice cast was was interesting. They had Brendan Fraser as uh, like the big, you know, kind of heroic brother of Rob Corddry's. Is actually his older brother, but he's smaller and whatnot. And he works for the the Michigan Troll, and and his son looks up to his brother instead. I, I liked Ricky Gervais in it. He was the the voice of Mr. James Bing, the sarcastic talking computer. <laughs> Ricky Gervais seems to be doing a lot of at least animated voices or voices for films where he's playing. A robotic character with a British accent, because I remember in Spike it's for he did the voice of the the talking dog and that. So. I bet he was sarcastic in that too. Yeah, <laughs> and there's like references to Simon Cowell and James being liking Simon Cowell a lot. So, <laughs> oh, and then and then William Shatner is the voice of the the villain in the, the movie. His name is William T. Sh- uh, Shanker. And I, I wonder if the the T stood for Tiberius. <laughs> Maybe. But uh, my son and I didn't see in 3D either, so. But you could tell there was scenes definitely planned for 3D in it, where things were coming like right at you. I would definitely go check it out and at least give it a, a chance. So, uh, it looks like it's it is doing better than a few of the other films that came out this weekend. So that's good to hear for Rainmaker. So hopefully they'll get to do some more films after this. So yeah, those are our new releases for the week, and we'll be back in a few seconds with our news. Our news for the week, uh, we're going to be starting off with Sandra Bullock is set to star as the the villainous kind of female character for the Despicable Me spinoff Minions. And I guess the Minions film, is, they kind of released a little bit like what the story's going to be about, is that shows that the Minions have been helping uh, villains throughout history and whatnot. So I guess it'd be like if you saw a movie about the Oompa Loompas and like their origin story and how they came to, you know, help different chocolate factories through the times. Uh, what do you guys think about the casting of Sandra Bullock for this? And then like, I don't, Matt and you and I have talked about the minion spinoff a little bit, but like, what do you think, Josh? Uh, I am, let's see, what's the positive thing to say? I guess <laughs> I am, I nothing this, I suppose that because I, I wasn't a big fan of despicable me. I didn't dislike it, but it was just kind of there. So, I get why they want to take the minions and put them into their own thing because the minions are like scrapped from Ice Age. You know, they're the yeah. frankly they're more involving and engaging characters than the main guy is. But you know, it's, it's there. It's interesting to have somebody so big involved in that movie. But I can't say I'm dying to see it yet. So. <laughs> It'll be interesting to because is Sandra Bullock uh, has she done any voiceover before? Not. That I can remember. I, I, I like because so. I can't think of anything. So it'll be interesting to like actually hear her voice and yeah, and if like if she'll movie. do a voice or if she'll just be yeah Sandra Bullock. <laughs> yeah, but we'll see how that plays out. It is kind of interesting the time frame for this because it seems like they've been working on this at the same time as the Spill Me Two, which comes out this summer, and then this Minions film is set to come out late next year. So 
Hmm. Getting minion and minion overload. Yeah, that may be not such a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and then the next thing we're going to talk about is DreamWorks and Netflix have come together for an exclusive animated series based on their animated film coming out this summer called Turbo, which, which shows they have a, a lot of confidence in the movie if they're already, you know, pursuing making an animated series, even if it is like a Netflix exclusive series. I'm interested in this thing. I mean, uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg was saying how Netflix is already a good spot for a bunch of children's television and why not have an original show on there now for kids to watch. But what do you guys think? Do you think they'll actually try to get the cast from the film to continue doing their voices for this since it's not exactly going to be on television so they can record it all at one time? What do you guys think? Maybe. I mean, they're clearly some of these actors probably could do it anyway, just yeah. because they're not as big. Well, because, I mean, it's going to be a bigger deal if you get Ryan Reynolds on a TV series as opposed yeah. to <laughs> Bill Hader or, you know, Ken Jeong. So. Or Snoop Lion. Yes. Snoop Lion, yeah. Snoop Dogg. He's still Snoop Dogg. Yeah. <laughs> he could say Snoop Lion. He's still Snoop Dogg. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it seems like they are pushing this movie a lot. I just saw... Like uh, some car show, they had like a turbo-inspired Camaro or something. So it looks like they're putting a lot of money behind this and with the cast and everything. So hopefully it does well. And after like Netflix has done their own original series with the House of Cards, it'll be interesting to see now with this animated series and they'll be having the season four of Arrested Development on there in a, a few months to see like how well like these different original like series well rest of them it's not really original series but in the case that it's getting exclusively released on netflix it'll be interesting to see if more studios decide to go that route of doing the entire season at once and releasing it on netflix instant and how well it does you know yeah uh and then the series i didn't i don't think i said the actual name for it was turbo uh colon fast which stands for fast action stunt team so yeah <laughs> uh, and then the last bit of news we're going to be talking about this week is Mr. Peabody and Sherman has been moved from November of this year to March 7th of, of next year, which uh, I can I can kind of see that because, I mean, DreamWorks is already releasing two movies this year, <laughs> Turbo and The Croods, both of which starring Ryan Reynolds doing a voice. It, it, yeah, it just looks like they're pushing it to spring of 2014 so that they'll have, they'll have it in that same spot that the crew is coming out this year and they'll be probably the first or second animated film that comes out next year and see how well it does that way instead of having it around thanksgiving uh competing with everything else that'll be coming out around then are you guys excited for mr peabody and sherman i know i, I am just because i liked the the shorts that they had with rocky and bowinkle and I, I like anything involving time travel, so I'll be excited to, to see this. I'm kind of interested, but I feel like, wasn't Robert Downey Jr. going to be Mr. Peabody originally? Yeah. Yeah, that <laughs> would have been more interesting than... I mean, Ty Burrell is, I'm sure, a very nice man, but I'm, I am mean, I feel like that's a bit of a letdown. And also, <laughs> I didn't this get switched with Me and My Shadow? Wasn't that supposed to come out in March 2014? Yeah, so maybe it looks like uh, Me and My Shadow is getting pushed a little bit farther, or maybe they're yeah. switching spots. I'm not sure. I'm looking forward to Me and My Shadow, too, because I'm... Yeah, that one definitely looks good. The mix of 2D and uh, hmm. CG animation with that. Yeah, so that's, that's our news for the week, guys. Uh, we'll be back in a few seconds talking about our new trailer slash kind of clips for the week. So I'll see you in a few seconds. Just take my hand, hold it tight. I will protect you from all around you. I will be here 
So the new trailers for the week are more or less kind of clips or like college ads, but from Monsters University. And I'm really, really enjoying like these fake college ads that they're putting out for Monsters University. They're, you know, just as cheesy as you, you'd see for real college ads. Uh, and this new one is a message from the Dean. So you get a little bit more of Helen Mirren doing the voice of Dean Hartscrabble, which I'm looking forward to, to her in the movie doing that. And you see a little bit more footage from the, the film as well as some of the stuff we saw in the trailer that came out last week. Definitely very clever. <laughs> <laughs> the new video, it looks pretty good. The, uh, you know, the style, the lighting and everything is looking really great for this new monsters university video. Like the shot where it comes up with the first monster and they're talking in the Dean video, you see that light coming through like the fuzz on that monster. That looks ridiculous. So I'm going to be really excited to see this film. Uh, I'm wondering if, if that's how they're going to be doing animation in the film, or if this will be like a video playing in the background somewhere in it, yeah. or or if like the film will actually be like kind of done with that kind of cinematography and whatnot. But yeah, and they, they actually played this in front of Escape from Planet Earth when we saw it today too, so it was nice to see that on the big screen. Nice. Uh, and the next thing was that John Goodman was recently on Late Night with Jimmy Fallon, and he debuted the first kind of full clip from the movie which shows a little bit more of the footage that we saw in the trailer with uh, Mike and Sully meeting for the first time, which Josh, I'm interested to hear what you have to say about this. Like, you know, there, there is the line in the monsters Inc where Mike says, you've been jealous of my good looks since the fourth grade. Do you think they'll even reference that at all in the movie or just kind of can try to completely bypass that? I'm sure they'll ignore it. I, I think it's pretty obvious that the idea is that they're meeting each other in college. I, that clip was I watched that it was very uh, manic. I think I guess I'm I'm very wary about this movie in general because I think that prequel I can't think of a good prequel. I think that's part of it. I can't think of a good prequel, and uh, I, I mean I I don't know. I, I just I, I don't know how engaging that movie is going to be because all I see is well they're not friends at the beginning. They're going to be friends by the end because. Obviously, because that's Monsters Incorporated. They're already the best friends in the world. And it's just, I don't know. I, I don't love that world as much as I love other worlds that Pixar has created. So as much as I can admire the animation, which looks incredible, I just think that the story maybe isn't there as much. And hey, that's based on marketing. I can't wait to be wrong. Because I've been, I've been wary about other Pixar movies, and I've been so wrong before. So I can't wait to be proven wrong. But I am very cautious about this one right now. Well said. <laughs> um <laughs> Like Josh said, it's you can't think of a better or a plot for a, a prequel, and this is the first one that Pixar is doing. So they kind of they're breaking the rules a little bit by ignoring possibly ignoring the fact that you know of what uh, Mike said in the first movie. So I don't know. Maybe they will touch on it. Maybe in the middle of the movie, he's going to go, "Oh wait, I knew you since the fourth grade." Or, you know, so. Well, what I was thinking from what I what I saw, like at least in the trailer before I saw this clip, was like the way that like Mike looks at Sully, like when they're shaking hands, meeting, like Mike knows who Sully is. You know, you know they went to high school and everything together, and just Sully like never noticed Mike. Mike's like, we've yeah. been going to school together our entire life. You, yeah. you just never noticed me. I, I was thinking something like that might happen, but they could play that angle. Yeah, and then and then I've seen uh, there's a theory that. 
uh, Sully and Mike actually aren't roommates, but Mike and Randall are. Because if you if you look at the bedspread, right near in uh, Mike's dorm room, it's purple and it's got Louis Vuitton like kind of style going on, but it says RB where it would say LV, so Randall Boggs. Oh. And then there's a poster behind the bed that says, uh, "Can you hear that? It's the winds of change." Ah. So it's, it's kind of referencing a line that Randall said in Monsters Inc. Mm. So uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to finding like all the Easter eggs in the background, maybe seeing monsters that we saw in Monsters Inc. Just you know, casually walking around in the background, and I, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing Charlie Day do do a voice in this too, because I really enjoy him on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. So it'll be cool to see him in a, a Pixar movie. Yeah. Uh, so that those are our new trailer slash clips of the week uh, we'll be back in a few seconds with our recommendations and stories dream about going up there but that is a big mistake just look at the world around you right here on the ocean floor such wonderful things around you what more did you looking for under the sea under the sea darling it's better down where it's wet and take it from me up on the shore, they work all day. Out in the sun, they slave away. While we be boating full time, you floating under the sea. <laughs> Back with our recommendations for the week. The first recommendation is mine is for Adam and Dog, which is Minky Lee's Oscar nominated short film that our good friend Austin Madison worked on as an animator. Uh, it's kind of it shows the relationship between Adam, you know, from the biblical story of Adam and Eve uh, becoming man's best friend story going on there. And it, it's intercut kind of with the like the fall of Eden and whatnot. So you can see it from like the dog's perspective. And I, I really like the animation style on this, the, the lighting and everything. And I'm interested to hear what you guys thought about it, too. I liked it a lot. I think it was very, very well animated. Definitely. You know, it had a very... It was very confident almost in the storytelling. It didn't feel like it. I liked that there was no dialogue. You know, I was able to completely understand everything that was going on without any kind of inserting of exp explaining what's there. I definitely, I mean, I, I didn't like it as much as uh, my recommendation, which is also nominated for an Oscar this year, but it's definitely a very strong entry. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the look is beautiful. Like all the hand, you know, painted backgrounds and even the framing and each shot is just like, you know, a really nice composition. If you freeze this short at any point in the film, you could like take that and hang it on your wall. It's yeah. just, it's really well done. I really like the animation, the timing, and just the the sound gives you that, the mood of like the scene in it. And it, I really like this. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of like sad that in, in the U.S. that, the hand-drawn animation has kind of somewhat died, at least for feature films. And, and You just don't see a lot of it. Yeah, like what Josh will be talking about and with mine. I, I want to see a feature film like done like that in, in, in these styles. And I, I love the shorts, but I, I just want to see feature films done like this still, too. I mean, CG animation is great, and it's, it's beneficial to certain stories that it wants to tell, but so is a hand-drawn animation, just as, like, stop-motion and everything else, so... Definitely, I would recommend to check Admin Dog out if you have not seen it yet. It's still online right now, as 
we're talking about it. It's been moving around different links, so once we post podcast, definitely check it out and give it a, a look. So my recommendation for the week is Doomed, a biological cartoon. <laughs> I really like this. It's it's you know about ten minutes long. It's a little longer than ten minutes, and uh, the uh, premise is this uh, you know award winning like uh, documentary narrator. Uh, <laughs> Like, the good times are over for him, and he's forced to accept this, you know, strange documentary. And it's like the 3D is really well done in this. Um, you know, it, it there's just these, like, concept-looking creatures in this. Uh, it's, it's really comedic, is which I what I like. And uh, um, all, like, the characters are really well stylized in it, and it's just, it's really funny. So... I'm not going to give too much away um, on it, but I suggest you go out and see it because it's pretty hilarious. I liked it. You know, I mean, I think that definitely very witty. I think, I think that, you know, comparing the two recommendations, it's weird, but I like the animation. <laughs> Adam and Dog a little bit better, but I think that the that the inventiveness of that premise and where it went was pretty pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I liked the you know like the British narrator getting all upset with like what he's watching and. And like how I was playing off that animation, and like you were saying, like the the really kind of unique designs to the the animals in this, and how they were created, I thought that was pretty cool. So really uh, cool. Josh, what's your recommendation? Well, I think you guys have probably talked about this a couple times in the past. It's also nominated for best animated short at the Oscars, and it's Paperman, which of course was in front of Wreck-It Ralph back in November, and I can't think of anyone who walked out of that film and wasn't raving about a paper man at the very least, because it's just so beautifully done. And I know recently it was on YouTube for a while, but then it got moved to Hulu, Hulu or Hulu plus, but I think it's there for free somewhere online legally, but I don't know why <laughs> Disney took it down from YouTube. It was seemed a little weird to take it down right after Valentine's day, but they did that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, you know, I, I can't wait to, to watch it again when Wreck-It Ralph comes out on, on Blu-ray. I'm, that the animation style there is just so lovely and well rendered, and I am still waiting for Disney to give its director John Carr's a feature deal, yeah. pronto, because that right there, that's your next big talent at Disney Animation. They gotta, they gotta make sure they hold on to that guy before he goes over somewhere else. I've actually heard that he's pursuing doing a a feature film with Disney in in that style, so that's good to that's hear true. that that's actually you know within the works. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Go, go ahead, Matt. Oh, sorry. I was just agreeing with you. Okay. Uh, yeah, but if if you can't find Paperman for free online, it, it is worth the the two dollars uh, to buy it by itself. I, I saw that you can buy it on YouTube. I didn't know you could buy videos off YouTube now, <laughs> but you can also buy it on iTunes too in HD. And then if if you want to wait, you can wait a few weeks for March fifth, and it'll be on the Wreck-It Ralph Blu-ray too. So it's definitely worth watching. And like you said. I, this is what I was really pulling for for the winning the short Oscar, uh, Oscar nominated short category, but now after watching Adam and Dog, I'm kind of conflicted. I, I still think Paperman will win, but uh, I just have a little bit of conflict going on within myself now. So, <laughs> Paperman all the way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So those are our recommendations for the week. Definitely check those out, uh, and we'll be back in our few in a few seconds with our main topic for the week. The Disney Renaissance. I'm gonna be a mighty king, so enemy. 
king of beasts with quite so little hair. I'm gonna be the main event like the king was before. I'm brushing up, I'm looking down, I'm working on my ah, <laughs> Thus far, rather an inspiring thing. Right, and we're back with our main topic for the week, the Disney Renaissance, which was an era for Disney that began roughly in the late 1980s with The Little Mermaid and ended around 2000 with Tarzan. Uh, so what, what are your thoughts about the Disney Renaissance era, Josh? I think it's probably the best era they ever had, and they are desperate to recapture that. Frankly, I think that there's almost an era within this era, and it ends with The Lion King, because the and, and frankly, you probably could ignore Rescuers Down Under, because Disney tries to do that most of the time as well. Um, <laughs> you know, those first five films, you know, Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King, these are formative films in a lot of people's childhoods, my, yeah. my own included, and I still remember being in the theater when I saw Pocahontas, which was the year after The Lion King, summer of 95, and the only thing I remember from that was watching the trailer for Toy Story and thinking, what's that? And as soon as Pixar came along, they yanked that baton out of Disney's hands, if we're imagining them in a relay race, and they have been running away with it ever since. I mean, I, I, I don't mean to really like harshly slam Pocahontas, Hunchback of Notre Dame, Hercules, Mulan, and Tarzan, but they are... Some of them are, are fairly ambitious, but I don't think that they hit the same highs overall as Beauty and the Beast or Lion King or Little Mermaid or even Aladdin. So it's definitely at least as important an era and as creatively fertile an era as when they did Dumbo and Bambi, but if not more so. Definitely. How about you, Matt? What, do you, what, do you, what are your thoughts about the Disney Renaissance? I agree, except for one fact. I think that Pocahontas should be classified within that area. But I think, you know, that is a step down from, like, The Lion King, which I think is the pinnacle of that, of the uh, Disney Renaissance era. And, I mean, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, like, Mark, you haven't, you didn't even see that till recently. Yeah, I hadn't seen it until, so, like, two months ago. <laughs> I mean, that right there is, like, an indicator that, you know, it just, they, they digressed from mm. Poca from The Lion King. But I still would classify Pocahontas in there. And I mean, and actually, the rescuers, I probably wouldn't classify that within the top. You know, I would say Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King, and then, you know, step down Pocahontas. Yeah. A lot of these are getting uh, Blu ray releases this year or within the past few years. Uh, like Little Mermaid is coming out this fall. Uh, and then, still waiting on Aladdin. Still waiting on Aladdin on a Blu ray. <laughs> One of these days we'll get yeah. it, right? <laughs> it was yeah. supposed to come out this spring. Like, I know. Last year when I saw Lady and the Tramp in there and it said Aladdin's coming out on Blu-ray next spring. I was like, awesome. And then the the fall, we, I don't remember what the, it was, it was Cinderella. It said Peter Pan's coming out. I was like, what, what happened to Aladdin? Yeah. Well, but, being fair, the Peter Pan Blu-ray has an insert for the 3D re-release of The Little Mermaid in theaters, yeah. which, as we all know, is not happening. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Although I, I emailed our, our Disney contact and they said that the little mermaid will still be happening in 3d on the blu-ray at least so they at least confirmed that because i mean it seemed like if they were going to spend all that money to convert it that they'd at least want to release it somehow for people to watch i guess and they also said that they didn't really cancel quote unquote it but just postponed it indefinitely 
Maybe they could postpone it until they decide to just do it in 2D, which is why yeah. people would see it. Because people would love to see that movie in, in theaters. I just don't think they care that much about the 3D element. I mean, yeah, and Disney used to to re-release their older oh, films yeah. in theaters. Like That's how I saw a lot of the 1990s, old... Yeah. yeah, like a lot of the yeah. older movies. That's how I saw them in, in theaters, was like Pinocchio and, and The Jungle Book. And I remember like before, you know, like VHS was like a huge thing. And then I think kind of with VHS and then DVD and now Blu-ray... It's kind of like done away with some older films being re-released in theaters because they're like, why do you need to watch it? And so you can watch it at home. Well, or, that's why Monsters Incorporated did so badly in December because yeah. it's on Blu-ray and people are not as they don't like when Little Mermaid got canceled. The 3D release got canceled. I saw so many people getting so frustrated, myself included, because it's like I actually wanted to see that one in theaters. Like that's yeah. the one I was waiting to see in theaters when they announced doing these conversions of movies like Monsters, Inc. and Finding Nemo. That's the one I wanted to see most of all. And they just, I don't know, that 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 really bothered me. <laughs> I, I was always thinking that if they did Aladdin in 3D, that would have been cool, too, with, like, a lot of, the, like, the magic carpet stuff and Genie mm-hmm. lends itself to, you know, the kind of, like, that 3D world. And, and like you're saying, with Little Mermaid, that would be cool, too, because of it being underwater and the sea... Like I don't, I'm not sure. Well, I would have been fine with it in 2D. I honestly yeah. didn't care about the 3D. I just wanted to see a movie I hadn't seen because that hadn't been in theaters for nearly 20 years. Definitely. Like, yeah. I would love to see that. Yeah, I, I wish they like when they do release these on on Blu-ray and DVD that they would do a release or like when they were doing the 3D releases also give you the option of going to see it in 2D because I mean a lot of people don't want to go see 3D because it's so expensive or they can't watch it because. They, they can't either see the 3D or just because it gives them the headache or whatnot. But, I mean, they would make even more money that way because you wouldn't have to do anything to the 2D version of it and just re-release it. Um, but and then the 3D, that's the only thing they really have to spend money on. But, yeah, I mean, I mean The Little Mermaid kind of started off this whole thing. That's, this is my wife's favorite Disney movie. I know that. And and I know, I know a lot of guys like this movie too, but I'm not sure for, like, for, for what reasons. I remember there's a... A uh, famous line from the first American Pie movie, where uh, Jason Biggs' character talks about, he's like, "Did you watch Little Mermaid? It was on TV last night." And he's like, "No, why would I watch that?" He's like, "Ariel, Ariel, man, she's so hot." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I really, and then there's the whole controversy with the the VHS cover of the Little Mermaid and what was supposed to have been in the background of that. But, what scandals will the Blu-ray case hold for us? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> Really. Uh, yeah, and then if, I don't know if you guys ever watched that show Drawn Together, uh, yeah. where like they're supposed to be like the Disney princess kind of character. Like when they go to her her realm, you yeah. see you see her kingdom, and and it's exactly referencing that whole Little Mermaid uh, kind of scandal of the VHS cover. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I like the Little Mermaid a lot. And then I recently just noticed that uh, Prince Eric was the voice of '90s Spider-Man. So now whenever I go back and watch that. I'll also be able to hear his Spider-Man as Prince Eric. <laughs> and then uh, I watched these, I don't know why, but uh, when they did the Cinderella 2 and 3 movies, they got him to do the voice of uh, Prince Charming in that too, which seems kind of weird to have a guy that you've already had do a voice of a Disney prince do another one and not really try to change his voice at all. So I was like, why is Prince Eric Prince Charming? That doesn't. That sounds really weird. What are your, your guys' uh, favorite memories about Little Mermaid when you saw it? And we'll kind of go from there with each movie as we talk about it. I 
think I remember being scared out of my wits in theaters at the end. Like that's like I have like one of my first memories of going to the movies is like like cowering in my seat at the end when Ursula grows to that mammoth height and just it scared in a good way. It wasn't like I never wanted to go to a movie again, obviously. It was just that that feeling of just be, almost being alive, being so scared that you feel like you're actually in that story. You're right there with Eric and Ariel as Ursula tries to attack. Yeah, actually, my first childhood pet, my cat, we named Ursula. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, and I remember that. And I think it was, it was around the time that this movie came out, like right after I had seen it. And the, like the cat we had was so freaking nasty. It was this black cat. And it was the meanest thing we'd we'd ever seen, so I dubbed it Ursula, and that's my link to the Little Mermaid. <laughs> I remember after I saw Little Mermaid, I thought Flounder was so awesome, and I had like a Flounder plush and everything. And then my wife has the same thing; she thinks Flounder is awesome because Flounder is awesome. <laughs> he was he's like one of the, like the one of the classic Disney sidekicks to you know like the main character, and then Sebastian in it. Uh, that's kind of what we have to talk about here too. Is like Alan Alan Menken and uh, Howard Ashman. Howard Ashman especially was very instrumental in this Disney Renaissance. It's, I think if you go back and watch the Waking Sleeping Beauty documentary, which is excellent, I, I think it's worth realizing that he really drove the creative process for Little Mermaid and especially Beauty and the Beast. The you know a lot of the uh, you, if you have the Blu-ray for Beauty and the Beast, you know that they originally went a different direction with the first, I think, 20 minutes or so of the film, a much different, much more stately, old-fashioned way of doing things. But I think what he brought to it was not only an abiding love, but a very uh, shrewd knowledge of how Broadway musicals worked and how the best ones worked and how that could translate into animation. But he loved Disney, clearly, yeah. and he knew how to tap into the best that Disney had to offer. So... And, and the other major like contributor to this era is Glenn Keane with his style of animation, and like, because kind of like all of these characters, you know, kind of that same kind of look to them, and I guess that's kind of like almost where like that Disney, quote unquote Disney like look, that everybody kind of you know like tries to parody if they are do, trying to do a Disney parody, and then like a lot of these have been turned like you're saying how to give them that kind of classical musical sense have been turned into Broadway musicals now Little Mermaid. Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin will be uh, next year, and then uh, Lion King has been one, and then I, th I think they even didn't they do Tarzan at one point? A uh, Broadway musical, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So I mean, yeah. Not as successful as Lion King, but yeah, yeah. it was there. But yeah, so I mean, it's, they're definitely all have like that same kind of style, and like you're saying, we grew up watching these. So of course, this era of Disney movies is going to be our favorite because these are the ones that we watched and. We loved so much. And then, so kind of going from there, go to the Rescuers Down Under, which is still Disney's technically only canon sequel within their, their feature films that they've done that's been released to theaters. Well, Fantasia 2000's kind yeah. of. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess yeah. it kind of is. Yeah. It is definitely in their canon. I'll put it, put it that way. Yeah, because we're not including all of the straight-to-DVD sequels that have been yeah. done to about 80% of the movies. <laughs> Because we wish they didn't exist. That's that's a whole yeah. different era of Disney, the the sequel straight to DVD sequel era, and then like a lot of these also had animated series made off of them too. Because I remember there was a Little Maid, Little Mermaid animated series. Aladdin. Had Aladdin. Uh, Be Beauty and the Beast. I don't know if it did. I feel like Hercules may have. Yeah, Hercules. They did yeah, like they Young Hercules, did. and 
young Hercules. Yes. <laughs> well, before he's all buff, you know, he's, he's like the scrawny, like yeah. awkward teenage version. Uh, and I remember, like, I, I was always, I was like, well, timeline-wise, where are these happening? Because I know Little Mermaid, like, that would, ha- I'm assuming that all would all have to happen before the Little Mermaid, the film happened. If we want to kind of talk about the straight-to-DVD sequels that they did for these, they did Little Mermaid 2, which where she had a daughter that wanted to be a mermaid. So basically, they just, they just flipped around the story. And then Little Mermaid 3, quote-unquote 3, which is actually a prequel, Ariel's beginning. Because <laughs> you, could, you could see King Triton with a full orange beard and hair, too. So it's before his hair went white and I got everything, I guess. It's kind of sidetracking from the rescuers down under. Uh, I remember I, I did like the rescuers down under when, a lot when I was a kid. I think I liked the huge golden eagle on that the most. Yeah. I think I was obsessed a lot with like the animals that, that were in these films when I was a kid more than the actual human characters. <laughs> How would you compare the rescuers down under to like the original rescuers? And do you even care about the rescuers? <laughs> uh, uh, you know, it's funny. We actually just uh, did a couple episodes on those two films for the podcast And I like the second one a little bit more, but I also kind of think both films are pretty flawed. I I think that the opening sequence, the second movie, is really great. And then the rescuers come into the movie, which is kind of a drag, weirdly. (laughs) Like in some like the part where it's the kid saving the golden Marahute, the golden eagle, and then getting caught by the poacher. That sequence is really fun and exciting. And then you get Bernard, whether he's going to marry Bianca, whether he could propose in the right time. And then there's now there's going to be a kangaroo mouse named Jake in Australia. And he's a manly mouse and she's going to cuckold Bernard or something. <laughs> it's really weird. It's like the animation's better. I think the animation quality yeah. is much better than the second film. But I, I, like, I think at the end of the day, I probably think they're both kind of right around the same kind of meh, kind of like mediocre quality. Some aspects are good, but... Yeah, it feels like it's out of a different era in a way. Definitely, yeah. Because I mean, it's it's like you said, it's a and then it's like a sequel to an older film that they did. And what's kind of cool though is this was one of the the first films that Pixar actually worked on with Disney, like a, a few with like some of the CG scenes. Yeah. And this is before like Pixar was sequence. Pixar. Yeah. yeah, the opening credit sequence is very memorable. I mean, I, I really thought it was, I thought it was cool. It was part oh, this is part of the the Caps project that Disney yep. did too. So. What was the name of the, the villain in this? Uh, McLeach. McLe- Percival C. McLeach. He was, he was definitely one of the, the creepier villains that they did, too. Well, they got... I mean, George C. Scott was a very good casting move. Uh, he's so he's got such a rich and memorable voice. and he, he, I don't think the character is as well-drawn as his performances, but he's very good in that film. Yeah. I, I think the one of the characters I always remember from that is the lizard you know, that, that could run across the water with that kind of remind me of the, the dinosaur from... Jurassic Park with the you know like the fins around his head. That Frank the uh, yeah the, yeah I hated Frank. <laughs> like, like just watching it again now is like that, that whole that whole storyline troubles me because all these animals that that kid encounters we never see them again and they're still oh, yeah. trapped at the end of the movie and it's like did they just break out again or are they dead or did somebody <laughs> go back for them and also did they kill frank along the way because i hate him <laughs> he's just it, the, the, it's a well, very obnoxious character i think uh, i don't know if i thought that when i was a kid but i think it now so <laughs> yeah. 
I guess, I guess we're supposed to assume at the end that the kid goes back and lets them all out since yeah, yeah, Leech has fallen co-host. to his death. To the... That's what my co-host told me as well, but it's like, why didn't they just show that? Like, it, It's a 75-minute <laughs> movie. It's not like the film is excessively long to begin with. That, that's a nitpick on my end, but it still bothers yeah. me. <laughs> uh, on, I guess going from Rescuers Down Under and then going to Beauty and the Beast within that little trilogy of these f- Disney films that really embrace our childhood, I guess. Although I was noticing something the other the other day is that in the Be Our Guest song, uh, Lumiere says something about 10 years we've been rusting. And isn't it on uh, uh, the Beast's 18th birthday, the rose was supposed to completely have wilted if he didn't find love? 18th or 21st, I forget. Right. One of those. So, so wouldn't that make him like 8 or, or 10 years old when... Yeah. So I was, I was like, that... It makes no sense. It's I was like, awkward. they're expecting a lot of a ten-year-old. Unless, <laughs> and unless also, where are his parents and why aren't they oh, yeah. opening the door instead of the kid for this old crone? <laughs> unless there's some kind of like time freeze thing that happened, and he actually was, you know, like eighteen. I don't know. <laughs> I guess, I guess, if you think about it too much, then then you could kind of ruin the movie for yourself. But but then you have to He's think about the 18. fact, <laughs> yeah, think about the fact that there's a talking candle and talking clock yeah. in the movie and then you're like okay i'm not gonna worry about the, the whole timeline wise thing <laughs> but yeah when when they re-released this in 3d a couple of years ago i, I really like that because they they used the kind of multi-plane camera mm. with like in the opening you can kind of actually see the depth to that and then gaston is an awesome character uh and then you had pedro hera doing the voice of bell and the and the singing voice and so what do you guys remember uh memories about Beauty and the Beast, what did you like about it the most? I think when I was a kid, I just loved Lumiere the most. He was my favorite character. I, now I think Jerry Orbach. Yeah, he was he was brilliant in that film. I mean, now I think it's the best one they did in this era. I think it's just a, a perfect mix of just beautiful animation, a great story, and a story that doesn't make the two romantic leads, either of them particularly passive. I think one of the flaws of a lot of older Disney films like Snow White and Cinderella is that the main character, the, the, the princess, is very uh, well-captured character, and then Prince Charming, if he's lucky, gets a few lines in the film. He gets to talk for a few seconds. <laughs> you know. And, and this one, you know, they're both the leads. They both have very recognizable goals and wishes, and I just... It's it's my favorite now of that of that era. This definitely was one of my favorites from that area, along with this like ranks with Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, and Lion King. I think those three were the strongest in that era. Like Lion King being like the first strongest, and then Aladdin and this now Beauty and the Beast was, I mean, it was it was really well done. All like it was. It's actually I think it scared the crap out of me when I was a little kid. <laughs> um, but um, I, I just remember really liking this movie, and it was definitely an experience. And I remember the soundtrack is still popular yeah. to this as well. And it's worth noting this is the first animated film that was actually ever nominated for Best Picture for an Oscar, too. So Yeah. I, I remember yeah. all the video games for these when you were kids, too, uh, on the yeah. Super Nintendo. Like They were my favorite video games, like the Lion King one and the, the Aladdin one. I don't remember the one for this one as much because I think it was more pushed out on like Sega Genesis and I didn't have Sega Genesis, so I didn't play it. But, and then there's the ballroom scene in this that was also done with the caps uh, system again, again with Pixar. Uh, and I haven't got to go. I, I don't know if you have Josh, but the, the new expansion that they did to Fantasyland at, at Disney world, 
the be our guests restaurant like they completely recreated the ballroom and like parts of the castle for you to go to eat in like a restaurant and i think it's, i think that's pretty cool yeah i haven't had a chance to go out there since they opened that when I, I was there about a year ago and they were still working very hard at it but it looked very impressive from the from behind the construction walls <laughs> yeah I mean, with, with all the stuff they added to fantasy land too they did the little mermaid uh expansion to, or i mean addition to it and then the, i think they're doing a snow white uh, and the seven dwarves kind of mine ride roller coaster, roller yeah. coasters so, so that's kind of cool because you know mine rides always lend themselves to being roller coasters so there you go <laughs> yeah. but yeah i mean i i loved beauty and the beast when i was a kid and then uh i'll film we're gonna talk about a little bit later bell actually has a cameo in the hunchback of notre dame uh where because it was directed by this the same guys right it was uh, directed by uh, gary trusdell and kirk weiss right I believe so, yeah. So yeah, if you if you look uh, during the beginning of the film, you can kind of see Belle walking around with her her face in a book, like well, she is. There are also, I was gonna say, I think there's also a cameo from the Beast in Aladdin. Oh, oh yeah, on the top of like, the yeah, yeah, the little yeah. Uh, pile of, of toys that he the, the Sultan's playing with, playing with so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then this also, you know, spawned two direct-to-video mid-quills: Beauty and the Beast, The Enchanted Christmas, and Belle's Magical World. I've seen The Enchanted Christmas. Uh, is that the one where Tim Curry plays the bad guy? I'm yeah, but he's, he's like, yeah. what was it? He's, he's like a... His name is Forte. He plays a court... He's a pipe organ. Oh, yeah, so, he's a... Huh. Yeah, and then... Uh, spoiler alert, but not really because you don't need to watch this anyways. <laughs> uh, he kind of dies by the end of this, so you don't have to really worry about him. And it, this This movie takes place... You know that little montage in, in Beauty and the Beast where they're throwing snow at each other and... Uh, Belle and, and the Beast are learning to love each other. It takes place in that little time that little period. song of, called Something There? Yeah. yeah. It takes <laughs> place during that part of the movie. So right. that like entire 60 minutes of, the, of of this movie takes place during that. And then Belle's Magical World, I I have for some reason on DVD, but I've, I've never actually watched it. And I'm, I'm not sure, like, timeline-wise, where that's supposed to happen. But the, And then there's, like, other characters that are in that Enchanted Christmas that... Obviously, you never see again in Beauty and the Beast, and you're just kind of, I guess, not, I guess they change back eventually too to humans. But uh, Wikipedia tells me, Wikipedia, of course, is never wrong. It tells me that uh, Magical World takes place after Christmas, but before the fight against Gaston. And I also don't think it's 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 four different segments, so it's clearly something where they could like break it up and put it on TV. Oh yeah, so, oh because yeah, yeah, I think they did an animated series for they must have. I don't know. But they may have, yeah. Because <laughs> I remember when I saw this, I was like, when are they supposed to take place? Why is he still the beast? That doesn't, that doesn't make sense. But, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, so that's Beauty and the Beast. Uh, and Gaston is still one of my favorite Disney villains to this point, just because he's just cause he's awesome. <laughs> and I, I really like the, the Gaston song in there, too, and LeFou. And there's lots of nice little jokes if you know French and it like for the, basically like the character's name like Lafu means the fool, <laughs> so and like Lumiere obviously means light, so yeah. that makes sense. Uh, but yeah, Beauty and the Beast. Going from there, going to my favorite Disney movie of all time, that still hasn't been released on Blu-ray, Aladdin. And uh, if anybody ever watched Full House, Steve is Aladdin. <laughs> <laughs> and what's kind of funny when. There was an episode of Full House where they went to Disney World and uh, DJ is seeing Steve everywhere and she sees Steve dressed up as 
the Aladdin character at Disney World. So that was kind of a, like a fun little thing they did in that. But yeah, I mean, Aladdin is without a doubt my favorite Disney movie. I, I love the main character of Aladdin. The music in that is great. There, I remember there was a kind of like a little bit of a thing with the lyrics for uh, Arabian Nights that the film opens up with, where like they where they cut off your hand if they don't like your face. Hey, it's barbaric, but hey, it's home. Uh, so they they changed that around a little bit. And I I don't think I ever noticed until I watched it like maybe five years ago. Is is that salesman supposed to be the genie? Because it's voiced by Robin Williams too. And then have you guys ever heard of the theory that Aladdin takes place in a, a post-apocalyptic future too? What? <laughs> no, I have not. <laughs> that's a new one. Uh, yeah, and, and that's why the, the genie is making all these references to, to characters or people that <laughs> would have existed in the past. But that if you... That is some immense uh, bending over backward to figure out just the explanation for jokes. Yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah. And then the genie, like, uh, it was one of my favorite Disney characters of all time. Robin Williams doing the voice, and that was was amazing. Uh, and then Jaf- I remember I had a Jafar. Uh, I had his his cobra staff that if you like rolled your finger on the back, the like the lights lit up and the like a tongue came out. And I think I got that like at a Disney on Ice thing that they did. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and then the video game. I, I remember. I played that thing through like four or five times and I, I even downloaded like a Super Nintendo emulator when I was in, in college and was playing Aladdin on my my laptop and during class probably when I shouldn't have shouldn't have been. But yeah, I mean those are my memories of Aladdin and so what do you guys remember about Aladdin? Well, I remember this is something that hasn't changed since I'm an adult. I remember after watching it the first time, I saw it tons of times when I was a kid and every time it was like forcing myself not to just fast forward until the genie came on screen because like, I like this movie, but you know, I was talking about how beauty and the beast, I think does a really good job with, with like expanding the two main characters, the romantic leads. Whereas I think this one, Aladdin and Jasmine are very nice, attractive looking kids and they have no real, like, I, I, I don't really think they're as well drawn as the genie or Jafar or Iago. Even, I think it's just, it's, it's a very pretty first half hour, but it really the movie really comes alive when the genie is on screen, just because Robin Williams is in this specific movie really funny even now. I think. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, the voice cast of you know Robin Williams and uh, Gilbert Gottfried, oh, yeah. <laughs> just that like contrast and along with everyone else just makes it awesome. And you know, I saw this maybe a couple of weeks ago when they did that uh, Disney uh, marathon on TV. And I saw this in HD, and in HD, this looked ridiculous. You know, I've never seen it, you know, on, like, a flat screen before, and I couldn't believe, like, the color, like, coming off the screen at me. So I can't wait for the Blu-ray to come out for this. And, you know, like you said, Mark, I had this for, I had the video game for this for, like, the Sega Genesis, and I have all the songs just glued into my brain right now because I play that over and over and over, and I, I just truly love this movie. Yeah, I can just see myself uh, hopping on the different awnings and then, you yeah. know, <laughs> bouncing off the different little poles on the thing to, like, get somewhere. Uh, I remember I had, I had a Abu uh, stuffed animal when I was a kid, too. And I think I even got, like, a like a picture, like, a as a kid holding Abu, like, like, act, a, like <laughs> a professional. With, with going from that, when we get to Lion King, I, I did a thing like that for that, too. So it shows how much I loved Aladdin and the Lion King. <laughs> Um, and then yeah, Jonathan Freeman as Jafar, which was awesome, but kind of yeah. creepy with, with that too because 
of how old he was. I mean, he didn't really want to marry Princess Jasmine to, you know, be with her. He just wanted it so he could be the Sultan. I mean, and then this this had the two direct-to-video sequels, The Return of Jafar, which is actually a, a lot better of one of the straight-to-DVD sequels than most of them that were released. Mm-hmm. I remember that The Return of Jafar, though, uh, Robin Williams didn't come back for the, the genie. Yeah. yeah, because Disney, because he had been very specific about how he wanted them to use his involvement in the original film, and they said they ignored him. So he basically, <laughs> like, he, he was very, he, like, he only, he got SAG scale pay, which was $75,000, which obviously is not a pittance, but it's obvious for actors, it's it's small, and for somebody like him, it wasn't that much, but he didn't want his name or image to be used for marketing, because he had a new movie, Toys, coming out the same, a month after Aladdin, and we all remember Toys, that classic film, we all sit yeah. down on Christmas to watch it every Christmas Eve, but, <laughs> you know, that, that. He didn't want to do it, and it, he's not wrong to have been annoyed. He asked very specifically, "Don't do this one thing," and they said, "We're going to do it anyway," because <laughs> you're Robin Williams, and he was the biggest name in the film. But, but then after uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg left, the guy who replaced him uh, publicly apologized to Robin Williams, so he did the third one, King of Thieves, yeah. which I remember liking actually, yeah. fairly, fairly decent film, I thought. Uh, yeah, Dan uh, Castellaneta actually replaced him for Return of Jafar too. But yeah, and, and then. I'll, most of the people came back for for Return of Jafar too. And I I liked Return of Jafar a lot, and uh, like like you're saying, King of Thieves uh, shows Aladdin and Jasmine finally get married in that one, taking three films to do that. I remember he had cold feet, you know. Give yeah. him a break. And then he meets his dad, and his dad ends up being the King of Thieves. Uh, so so his dad, I'm assuming, was Alibaba. I don't remember the character's name, but I feel like John Rees Davies voiced him, and then Jerry Orbach. Yeah, Ka- oh no, his name was Kasim. Ah, yeah, yes. John Rees. Da- but I, I thought that would have been funny if you know, the genius talking about Alibaba had them forty thieves and Aladdin, and then hey, your dad was Alibaba. <laughs> I didn't know that, did you? Uh, but yeah, I, did you? And then there's this the series for Aladdin that I'm not sure timeline where that happens. I think it's in between two and three. Those are Aladdin, and uh, the, the next one is The Lion King. I, I remember the preview for this one. The Circle of Life, they showed the entire Circle of Life scene as like an early preview for this. I remember seeing this in theaters, and that is one of the best marketing ideas they ever did because that just is, that's such a memorable, iconic sequence, and it's such a great song. That was that was a brilliant, uh, brilliant ploy to advertise the film, really, and Uh, Then I remember seeing the movie the day it opened and throwing candy at the screen because I was with friends of mine and we were in that, like, pretending to be we were too cool for Disney because we were stupid little kids. But uh, I was still, like, walking out, I was still like, I feel like I should have paid attention during that. That seemed kind of good. And then I saw it a hundred more times and was like, oh, yeah, it's a classic. It was great. Yeah, that was the, I mean, pinnacle movie for, uh, in my mind, for Disney. And I saw that movie over and over and over in the soundtrack, I think, for that one was the, like, I will still listen to that today. The music for it was great. That opening sequence was amazing, and that really just, that was an awesome movie for me. Yeah, I this I think this is kind of tied with Aladdin for me for my favorite Disney movies, like, when yeah. I was a kid. Because I, I remember when they released these on DVD, they did, like, this cool box set for, for The Lion King, but that I knew they were doing from Aladdin. I was like, which one do I buy? Because I can only afford to get one of them. I ended up getting <laughs> I ended up getting the Aladdin one, but because I remember the Lion King one, or no, that's the Blu-ray that just came out. But the Lion King 
box that they did. It like came with like a drum and whatnot. But yeah, a Lion King was great. Like we were talking about the video games earlier. I can remember the I just can't wait to be king. Yeah. Uh, video game portion of that. I don't remember if if you remember this, Matt. Uh, from elementary school, there was a thing we had to do for music class. Oh my God, I do remember this. <laughs> and as soon as you said that, I just it <laughs> struck up like some memories. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to tell another embarrassing story about myself on our podcast. Where <laughs> uh, we're me and if, if Paul Work uh, listens to our podcast, him and I, we had a lip sync a song and I chose it. I, and it was, I just can't wait to be king from The Lion King. And I thought it would be a good idea, you know, if we acted like lions while we were lip syncing it. So <laughs> we're, you know, on all fours and I, I taped fake lion tails to her. Well, I gave him his tail to tape to himself because I wasn't going to, you know, tape it to his butt. He could do it himself. But I taped mine to myself, and then we had, like, fake, like, lion ears on. But, yeah, and then we lip synced. I just can't wait to be king. And I think I made Paul be Zazu because I wanted to be Simba, of course, obviously. But, yeah. So, yeah, I lip synced. Uh, I just can't wait to be king. So I still know all the words to that by heart because of that. <laughs> And yeah, so that 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 was part of my experience with Lion King as a kid. And then, like I was saying, I, there's a picture of me wearing a Lion King green polo shirt with a stuffed version of Mufasa and and Simba in hand. If you can find that on the internet, good for you. But I'm not gonna try to share it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I loved like all all the voice acting. In this is great too. You have jo- Jonathan Tyler Thomas at the time writing off his, his uh, Disney high of you know being Randy on Home Improvement, and then Matthew Broderick as the adult version of Simba, and then James Earl Jones, Darth Vader, as Mufasa, Jeremy Irons as Scar, uh, Nathan Lane and Ernie Sabella as Timon and Pumbaa, uh, Rowan Atkinson as Azu and Whoopi Goldberg, Cheech Marin and Jim Cummings as Shenzi, Banzai, and Ed. I, I think uh, Jim Cummings had the easiest job playing Ed, obviously. <laughs> But then he was also the gopher that they cut out, but then put... Or no, was it... I don't. I can't remember now because of that Morning Report song that they reinserted in some versions. And then, was that gopher originally in the, the, the original yeah. version? Okay. Yeah, it's just saying, you know, you know, there's some prob- trouble down with the hyenas or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, can't stand that Morning Report song. <laughs> <laughs> I, liked, I liked the movie a lot, but that that's one scene where it's like, yeah, you know, there's a reason this is deleted, I think. Yeah, <laughs> I, I remember on the DVD... Uh, I was I was always upset because I couldn't get I wanted the original version of the movie yeah and it would always play that version of the movie yeah. and I was like why won't let me turn this off I just I don't want to watch the morning report <laughs> but and, and then what what are you guys thoughts about liking two Simba's Pride and the the kind of parallel uh, in between cool movie Lion King one and a half Lion King one and a half was what I remember ended up being pretty good and then Jason Marsden did one of the voices of Lion King too. So yeah, I have not seen all of one and a half. I've seen parts of it. I, I actually just we just actually did the second film for the podcast last fall, and uh, yeah, it's definitely a movie. I mean, it's I, <laughs> I feel like it's it tries really hard to recapture what made the first film so special, but especially the villain. I mean, Jeremy Irons is amazing as Scar. Scar yeah. might be one of the best Disney villains they've ever done, and. The the I forget the name of the character who's the main bad line in that one, but it's just 
it's it's a fairly weak attempt at recreating what everybody loved about the first one, I think. Yeah, and if, if Lion King 1 is based on off Hamlet by William Shakespeare, then Lion King 2 is kind of Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. And then Lion King 1 and a half is just Lion King 1 and a half. Well, that's more like Rosencrantz <laughs> and Guildenstern are dead, which was that play. Because oh, yeah. you got Timon and Pumbaa. But. Andy Dick did a voice in yes. Lion King 2. Yeah, he plays the, I forget which character it would be connected to in Romeo and Juliet, either... Benvolio or maybe Paris, the the character you know, like the the friend who dies like halfway through. He's spoiler alert. His character dies. Oh, yeah. um, it's it's fairly dark when he when he dies. It's just, it just it didn't know how to be light and creepy at the same time. I think. As Suzanne Plushette was Pl zero. Plushette, yeah. Plushette, yeah. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah, she was kind of the replacement for Scar. And, and fun fact about that, though, there, uh, the, the song that she sings, her big, like, Be Prepared-esque song, was co-written by Joss Whedon. Nice. That's oh. interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't remember this either. Was her... That's not her son, right? The the character that Jason Marsden did the voice of, right? They're never very clear about whose son he is. Like, you think it might have been the son that Scar and she had, but then, no, Scar that, was like yeah. father to me. It's like, I don't know what they were thinking with that. Yeah, because, I mean, if you think about that for a second, Scar was the blood of Simba, and so then if Kiara and Kovu are getting together, isn't that kind of inbreeding? Well... Well, being fair, I think some... Uh, They're lions, so I do guess... Do that anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they need to survive. <laughs> it's a circle of life. Uh, and then going from there, we're going to go to Pocahontas, which I remember they were seeing some about this at one point, was that a lot of people that they could choose to, whether they wanted to work on the Lion King or Pocahontas, and a lot of them went to Pocahontas because they thought that was going to be the more critically acclaimed and, you know, well-received movie than the Lion King, but... Kind of the reverse of that, as Lion King ended up being. I mean, it was the highest grossing. Yeah, year. up until what was it like? Toy, was it Toy, Toy Story, Story 3? Three? I think it took 16 years. Yeah. Yeah. So that's wow. pretty impressive in, it, in itself. Uh, yeah, but Pocahontas, the the Disneyized version of the first meeting of John Smith and Pocahontas. Because yep. when I found out the you know the real history behind behind Pocahontas and John Smith in high school, I was like, oh. That's that's interesting. <laughs> there was not a talking tree, surprisingly. <laughs> well, well, when I found out like like what age John Smith was and like what age like Pocahontas actually would have been in real life, I was like, well, I'm glad they kind of changed that for the film. Otherwise, that would have been that would have been really creepy. Yeah, that would have been a little yep. weird. And, and apparently, Christian Bale likes being in movies about uh, <laughs> Pocahontas because he was he was in this as. Was it Tom? Yeah, Thomas. Yeah. And then, and then in the New World by Terrence Malick. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it would have been awesome if he played a character named Thomas in the Terrence Malick A New World. <laughs> I would be like, hey, it's the live action version of Tom. But, <laughs> but Billy Connolly does a voice in this. Um, Mel Gibson is John Smith. Uh, and David Ogden Steers is a villain again. He's got yeah. he, well, he was in Beauty and the Beast, not as a villain, but. Yeah, yeah, because you you could recognize his voice because uh, he's kind of like the, you know, lackey for Governor Ratcliffe. I was like, hey, it's well, Cox. he's both characters. He's the lackey and he is Governor Ratcliffe. Yep. There you go. That shows how much I knew about that and <laughs> and how talented he is too. What do you guys remember about Pocahontas? I was gonna say, Matt, you, I think you liked this one more than I did. Do you want to go first? 
it, for me, it was really like the music because that's the only memorable part that I have. I can't remember like a lot of the scenes in the movie, but I do remember like all the songs they sang in it. And I think it won a lot of the, it won like, what was it two Academy Awards? Probably for, for best score and best song. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it won. Yeah. Best original song and best, best score. Yeah. And that's what I remember about it. It'll be interesting. Um, did, they're going to release this on Blu-ray some point. They did. Uh, oh, they did. last year in, in August, they released this, and then because they knew nobody would buy it any other way, they put Pocahontas <laughs> 2 on the Blu-ray with it. That was the first time I had seen Pocahontas 2, and I remember watching it, and it really pissed me off. I think it, we talked about that once before. Yeah, because Governor Ratcliffe apparently lies when he, when, when he got back to England, and, so, and apparently everybody believes him. So, like, he gets off essentially scot-free for what he did in the first movie, and, like, everybody thinks that John Smith is dead and whatnot. And then, like, I didn't like that Pocahontas ended up with this new guy at the end of uh, this, that movie. And then, like, I guess we're on different boats now, and John Smith goes off to do his his traveling, and she decides to stay with the new guy. I don't know. I didn't really, I really did not like Pocahontas 2 <laughs> at all. And, and in, like, some ways it kind of, like, ruined Pocahontas for me because of what you find out happens with with her in the, the second movie and Governor Ratcliffe. I was like, I feel like nothing happened to him now. Uh, there's, like, there's like no... He didn't have to pay for anything he did in the first movie. And, but, I don't know. That's just that's just my thoughts about that. And then, yeah, like you were saying, Pocahontas, what I remember the most about that is the music with, like, the colors of the wind. and Yeah. I really don't remember much of the animation. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember the, the animation, at least with that sequence, is really beautiful, like with they're running through the trees and the shadows yeah. and, and everything with that, and I liked that a lot. Going from that hunchback on, on Notre Dame, which I just finally saw two months ago, but I'll, uh, you guys talk about it because you probably saw it when you are younger, so you probably have a little bit different perspective on the film than I do. Yeah, I mean, I know that, kind of going along with Pocahontas, I think both films, Pocahontas and Hunchback of Notre Dame, have really great, music and i think the animation also is really impressive i think the problem especially with hunchback of notre dame is that it's really ambitious you know they're they're, they're going to be adapting a story that's inherently adult and tragic and they're going to try to make it a kid's film but i i don't really think that it works very well as a kid's film because you've got all the serious stuff going on you've got this character who is lusting after a gypsy and he is questioning <laughs> himself for lusting after a gypsy because he's religious oh, yeah. and then you've got quasimodo talking to a talking gargoyle voiced by george costanza which is kind of a, a weird shift I, I think that the animation is excellent i think that a lot of the songs are great i just think that the story that they adapt it's not as easy to turn into a disney story in a way yeah and matt what do you think about it i i remember watching it like one time and i don't think i've ever rewatched it again <laughs> it was just it was one of those that were like all right you know it was it was a good movie and, you know the soundtrack was pretty impressive but it it just didn't capture my excitement to watch it again you know yeah, yeah. i'm like and then i I had never seen this, and I remember wanting to watch it multiple times since I've been growing up and just never getting to it. And then finally I got to watch it two months ago. And the freaking Archdeacon in this is, I, I think, probably the darkest Disney villain. Because he's essentially wants to commit genocide on all the, the gypsies, if you think about it. Yeah, Frollo's a very creepy character, definitely. 
And yeah, I mean, and then I don't think like like you were saying with the the talking uh, gargoyles was I I don't think they could figure out like a kind of tone that they wanted to go for the movie if yeah if they wanted it to be kind of like light and funny and have like the talking characters like Beauty and the Beast had and and Aladdin and whatnot. Or if they wanted it to be strictly like as dark as like the Black Cauldron. I mean, like you guys are saying, the music. I really enjoy the music in this. I have not seen the sequel. I'll probably wait until this comes out. On. It is terrible. <laughs> it is the. I don't know why my wife was compelled to rent it one time from Netflix, but we saw it, and it was an hour and eight minutes of my life that I am never getting back. And I'm <laughs> probably watching for the podcast one day. It's got most of the cast. So you've got Demi Moore and Kevin Klein and Tom Hulse again wow. and Jason Alexander. The movie also has Jennifer Love Hewitt and Haley Joel Osment. Oh, and this is post Sixth Sense. So this is post I See Dead People. And it, it's just, it, I don't remember thinking much of it. I remember being, like, embarrassed for myself. Yeah. <laughs> uh. I mean, yeah, because Hunchback, uh, and then we're gonna the other one we're gonna be talking about, and Mulan are gonna be coming out on Blu-ray on March twelfth, yeah. and I both of their respective sequels. Those yeah. are both gonna look amazing on Blu-ray. Yeah. So that'll be my first time watching in uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame too. Uh, you, yeah, I just I need to watch it. I know. I know. It's... Oh no, I understand. <laughs> I, I don't blame you for watching it. I'm just saying you're warned. You know, you prepare yourself. <laughs> Like, I already know, like, they try to get completely rid of all the darkness that was in the first film and, like, just make it as light as possible. Yeah, it's a much sillier film. Yeah, just pour yourself a strong drink. <laughs> yeah, this is... And then the... after ten minutes when you down it, pour another strong drink and then bring in the bottle and then bring in a couple other... Yeah, <laughs> the box wine. This is that it received generally negative reviews from critics. It's got a 30% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is it better gets. than... Which is better than... It's a good day to die hard. <laughs> Uh, critics and I hard better than the Hunchback of Notre Dame too. I will be daring enough to say that right here. All right, <laughs> there you go. Uh, but yeah, so I guess we'll all have to check out. The, well, at least Matt and I maybe we'll have to check out Hunchback at uh, Notre Dame too when that comes out. Uh, the next one I think is kind of like one of the the Disney movies that gets looked over a lot because I really enjoyed Hercules. I liked the music in this a lot. He had Danny DeVito doing the voice of Phil. Uh, James Woods as Hades, that was awesome. And Wayne Knight does a voice in it. Uh, I, don't, I don't know, I can't, I can never remember the guy's name, but he was the voice of uh, Pain, or was, it, or was it Panic? He was, that was the Bob fat Cat one. Goldthwait? What? Bob, Bobcat Goldthwait? Yeah. Yeah, he's good. I love his voice whenever he does like a voice in something. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I love the Pain and Panic in this, and then Tate Donovan. I don't remember being. Too much other, other things, but you might remember him. He was on Friends. He played one of Rachel's uh, love interests, like season three or four. That's where I remember him from. So, yeah. oh man. Uh, and then Josh Keaton did the voice of of young Hercules in this, and I, I wonder if he did the the voice of young Hercules in the, the series that they did, because he also did the voice of Jules Brown in the Back to the Future animated series, which is I'll give him credit for that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed. Hercules, it was kind of like another somewhat darker... I mean, it's not really that dark, but I mean, uh, like how it kind of plays with like the Greek myth of Hercules. And you have the muses kind of introducing it and like telling the story through like musical sequences and whatnot. And then Scar has a cameo in this movie. Uh, you can You see what happens to Scar after the end of The Lion King. 
becomes a like a kind of like a throw rug slash kind of cape for for Hercules at once he's kind of risen to famous power and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed Hercules and all the music for. What about you guys? I liked Hercules a lot. I think it, I definitely would agree. It's probably uh, forgotten a little bit more than other Disney animated films. I I think that. One thing I always forget until I watch it again, because my wife's a big fan, is that it's very funny. And it's a very fast-paced movie as well. Like it's very, It feels as much like a Looney Tunes kind of piece of animation. And, and, and I think James Woods is probably the second best villain of this era because basically turning the genie into a bad guy is a really smart idea. And he is... His voice is very, very appropriate for the character as they created him. And I think, I think what maybe contributed to why I like this so much is that it's directed by Ron Clements and John Musker, who also did Aladdin. They did The Little Mermaid and Great Mouse Detective, and then they went on to do Treasure Planet, which I actually like a lot, and uh, Princess and the Frog. So I mean, I kind of, I guess it kind of goes with that for maybe some reason why I like it. And Matt, what, what did you think about this? Was actually one of the the one movies that they didn't do a straight to DVD sequel, other than that this animated series that they did. Yeah, no, I, I like Hercules. This is like if I had to rewatch like The Hunchback of Notre Dame or Hercules, I would be rewatching Hercules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I remember it being re- yeah being really funny, and um, I I just I this is where you start to lose me in that like Disney end of the era, you know. So yeah. like the the two after this Mulan and Tarzan I kind of buried I don't even think I saw Mulan and Tarzan I might have saw clips of it but Hercules I think was like the last of the like the Disney Renaissance that I've seen. Did you, either of you ever watch the the animated series that they did for Hercules? I don't think I ever did. <laughs> I watched a few of it. They had uh, uh what's his name? Crap! I'm, I'm gonna feel bad with my my Greek mythology. His his name is right on the tip of my tongue. The guy that you know flew too close to the sun. Icarus. Yeah, there you go, Icarus. Icarus was supposed to be one of Hercules' best friends in the series, so it was kind of funny because it showed that he already tried to do it once, and so like he was kind of like burnt burnt out on flying so close to the sun. <laughs> so I guess they injected a little bit of humor with that. So I thought that was funny within the series. But going from that, go to Mulan, which is another one that will be coming out on Blu-ray soon, and. I remember I, I enjoyed this actually a lot too because I liked Eddie Murphy as as Mushu. Um, Ming Na was great as, as Mulan, and I, and I actually remember when they announced Mulan was going to be on on that show Once Upon a Time. I, I was kind of hoping that Ming Na would actually play Mulan because <laughs> I didn't for some reason I still had her in 1998 and I didn't assume that she was too old to play Mulan now at this point. <laughs> but I thought that would have been cool to have her I don't know, play the live action version. But I actually remember seeing this film in theaters by myself. <laughs> like my mom and my sister went to go go see some chick flick, and then I decided to see a movie, well, which was kind of based off an entirely female character. Yeah, I mean, I liked uh, the animation was great for this. Uh, Mushu was was really funny, and then of course you got Donny Osmond singing. Everybody likes that, right? I'm just joking about that, and. I don't really care about, but, but what I thought was funny is that uh, B D Wong, who played um, what is his name Long Duck Dong in Sixteen Candles, is the is the voice of Captain Shang. I was like, I thought that was kind of funny that this like really nerdy guy from the, like an eighties movie would then play this like really buff. If oh. I may, if I may, actually, it was a different guy who oh, was, it was? In this movie who's also in this movie. Uh, Getty Watanabe plays Ling. 
in this movie. He's the guy who played Long Duk Dong. And he's in, I mean, it's still a good Sorry. point. It's weird that he's in it. <laughs> no, but, I feel bad. No, it's okay. B.D. Wong was in Jurassic Park. He plays the guy who's uh, oh, yeah. analyzing the raptors when they're babies. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yep. He, he was on, he's been on other TV shows, too, hasn't he? He, he was on Law & Order SVU for a long time. Yeah, what do, what do you think about Mulan, Josh? Uh, I liked it. I don't think I liked it as much as some of the other movies that Disney made in this era. I, I haven't, I don't think I've seen it in full since I was younger. I, obviously, when it comes out on Blu-ray, I'll watch it again. I'm curious. I think the animation probably will look really good yeah. in Blu-ray as it goes for pretty much every Disney film. But I, I don't know what it was about this movie that did not appeal to me in the same way. And and certainly, it probably didn't help that Eddie Murphy a few years later would be in Shrek in the Shrek series. And that came out at a period when I was, you know, trying to be like, oh, I'm a, I'm a cool teenager who's too cool for Disney, but Hey, look, he's going to make fun of Disney in this movie with Mike Myers. I'll see that instead. Like, I feel like that almost defines Eddie Murphy and his family films now, as opposed to this, but yeah, <laughs> these are like the, the last few great Eddie Murphy movies before, <laughs> before a thousand words and imagine that. And every other movie he's done in the past five or Six years. Haunted Mansion, my favorite. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, <geez>. <laughs> <laughs> and then wasn't uh, wasn't the bad guy in this Genghis Khan? I can I always think it's Genghis Khan was the bad guy. Shan Yu, I believe, is the name of the bad guy. All right. I think that's the character's name. Isn't he? Is he supposed to be based off of Genghis Khan? Possibly. Okay. I'm not sure. I I guess say my my might be more like based on Attila the Hun. Oh, oh yeah, it's probably Hun's more of that. Yeah. And what's kind of cool, I guess, is Jackie Chan provided the voice for Li Shang in the, the Chinese dubs of the, the film. So if you watch the Chinese version, you can see Jackie Chan doing a voice in the movie. <laughs> or, or rather, I guess, here. Uh, and then have either of you guys ever seen Mulan 2 that they did? Nope. Yeah. Nope, but I will soon. It's on Blu-ray, right? Aren't they going to? Well, yeah, it'll be it'll be on that, that same Mulan Blu-ray. And then Ming-Na came back, came back, came back as, as Mulan. And actually, a lot of the... The characters came back. Lucy Liu did a voice. Uh, George Takai. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this one kind of goes to where, like, she's setting up getting married to, to Li Shang. Uh, and that's basically most of the plot of the movie. And then, like, her three, you know, the three uh, guys from the first film that she becomes friends with find three women that they fall in love with. So this one's more of, like, a... Mulan romantic comedy than the first movie is. <laughs> and yeah, so I mean it's not really definitely not anywhere near as good as the first movie, but I guess it's kinda worth checking out if you want to. From there, let's go to Tarzan, which is pretty much the last of the Disney Renaissance films. And what are you guys I mean, Matt, you kinda said you you don't think you've seen the entire thing, but what, yeah, what do you guys I mean, remember I, about I this? I do remember like actually seeing this when I uh, went to Disney for the first time. I actually went to MGM Studios and I saw like you know they did like demonstrations on actually drawing Tarzan, but I never even saw the movie. So it's definitely worth checking out. I'm surprised that this is one of the ones they haven't released on Blu-ray yet either. That I'm waiting for for this and Hercules to come out on Blu-ray because I, I never bought them on DVD and I figure at this point I might as well just wait for the Blu-ray. Yeah. What about you, Josh? You know, I haven't seen this since it came out in theaters. I saw it the I literally saw it the day it opened, and I remember almost nothing about it uh, because I was trying to go on a date with a girl. So uh, 
forgive me, I can't say I remember that much about the film, but I, I'm actually curious to revisit it at some point because, again, this seems like the kind of movie that would really look cool on Blu-ray. Like, honestly, all I remember is, you know, the, the Phil Collins songs, which are very well-known. Oh, yeah. And then I remember there's a scene where Rosie O'Donnell, uh, as a gorilla, is playing with trash cans, I think. <laughs> yeah. And do, that's... Do option, do. Yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's then, pretty much all I remember about it. <laughs> yeah, trash in the camp, and you'll be in my heart. Were the yeah. sung by characters in the, the film, but yeah, I I I think I watched this a, a few months ago with to show it to Patrick, and I remember the, the movie. It kind of starts off pretty dark, where like it shows uh, Tarzan's father and, and mother kind of they're sh- shipwrecked on the coast of this, and then this jaguar comes and kills them at the same time uh the the gorilla that would go on to adopt tarzan her baby gorilla is also killed by that jaguar so which is why she goes and saves tarzan and, and adopts him and it's like it got has like a really tense like kind of old co- cold opening to it that way and then the bad guy i don't really re- really remember all that well he, he's not really one of he, he kind of reminds me of a uh, craven the hunter from from like the from like spider-man or like mixed with uh if you guys seen jumanji you know the you know the, the hunter in that that's going yeah. after he, yeah. he's kind of like that character uh and then this is when rosie o'donnell was still big so she was the voice like you're saying of of turk tarzan's best friend uh, and then then jane in this uh glenn close did the voice of kala which was tarzan which was the the gorilla mother yeah i mean i i enjoyed this and then of course they did two straight to dvd sequels for this too tarzan 2 which i never like when they make a prequel or something and they call it like a two in the because it's tarzan when he's a kid so how does it make sense to call that tarzan 2 tarzan zero yeah or or just call it like tarzan something else don't call it tarzan 2 and then there's tarzan and jane which i'm assuming it takes place after tarzan and then they did an animated series for this too which was I remember seeing that like it was on like UPN or something in the morning when I was getting ready for school during high school. But this, I mean, I would, I'd like to watch this again. And like you guys are saying, this will definitely look good on Blu-ray when it does come out. And yeah, so, I mean, that's the last of the Disney Renaissance films. Uh, the last thing we're going to be talking about before we close this out is that there was a documentary that came out a few years ago. Uh, Josh, kind of talked about it briefly was it's waking sleeping beauty it talks about this entire period of, of time within the disney renaissance and like what inspired everybody that was working on these different films and, and whatnot josh what did you think of this movie and i i think it's just excellent i think it's a really fascinating film i did this back on the podcast a long time ago back early in the show's run but it's really entertaining film and it's just it's very it, it's not only an insightful look back at not only how how animation was transformed in this period, but how desperate Disney was beforehand. You know, you mentioned, I think, The Black Cauldron a, a little while ago. Yeah. That movie came out four years before The Little Mermaid, and that was pretty close to a death knell for Disney animation because not only of how bad it was because i don't think it's a very good film but it was because of how unsuccessful that movie was and how much money was spent on it the way that people like don Hahn, who directed the film and narrated it 
and people like Howard Ashman were involved and, you know, Kirk Wise, Gary Trousdale, Glenn Keane, how all these people kind of worked together to bring it back. That's a fascinating story. And the way that he tells the story is really interesting. He gets new interviews, but it's there's no talking heads in the film. It's all vintage interviews, press footage, you know, in progress and completed footage from the films that are covered, personal videos. It, it, the way that he delivers that content is really well done and it's just it's a really insightful film certainly i would say it could be longer there probably could be a lot more information disseminated obviously since this film was made by disney they don't want it to be perhaps too uh too too, uh harsh or too uh gritty about what actually happened and what those people may have felt like at their lowest points but it's still a really interesting film i think and it used to, I don't know if it still is on Netflix Instant, but it yeah. used to be, and it's really, really worth watching. Yeah, Matt, if you don't, yeah, you definitely need to check that out because it, yeah, it's it, like, like Josh has been saying, it's, it goes, especially if you're like a Disney, like fanboy, like I'm assuming the three of us are, yeah, that you're going to love watching it because you get to see all this behind the scenes stuff. And it kind of really paints like Jeffrey Katzenberg as, as like a, like a villain and some of uh, Michael Eisner too. <laughs> And I would say it's more Eisner. Like Katzenberg, I think, comes in as something of a villain. Like there's a story he tells very early on when he's talking about seeing footage for the Black Cauldron and saying, oh, we need to cut this stuff out. We should yeah. cut these scenes out. It's like, well, you can't do that with animation. That's not how you make a film. Oh, you watch me do it. I'll do it right now. And it's clearly a fundamental misunderstanding. But at the same time, again, thinking of the Black Cauldron, it's like, yeah, he probably had the right idea. A, and B, he clearly became a very vocal presence for animation as much as maybe you know, breathing down their necks some of the time. He, he clearly saw the value once they made money on it. But. Yeah. And which he's brought over to DreamWorks now. But Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, so guys, if you haven't checked out Waking Sleepy Beauty, definitely check that out. Uh, so, yeah, so that's our show today. I hope you enjoyed our discussion of the Disney Renaissance era. No Gaston, no one's quick as Gaston, no one's next as incredibly thick as Gaston, for there's no man in town half as manly, perfect a pure paragon, you can ask any Tom, Dick, or Stanley, and they'll tell you whose team they prefer to be on. No one's been like Gaston, a king been like Gaston, no one's got a swell cleft in his chin like Gaston. Uh, don't forget you can follow us individually on Twitter. I'm at Mark Vibbert, M-A-R-C-V-I-B-B-E-R-T. And I am at Questpact, Q-U-E-S-T-P-A-C-T. Where can they find you, Josh? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at Masterpiece, and if I can just plug the show very quickly. Yeah, go uh, ahead. <laughs> uh, Masterpiece Cinema, it's a podcast about Disney movies, animated, live action we do pretty much anything under the Walt Disney banner, so we, we will eventually do stuff, like a lot more Touchstone stuff. We did Lincoln back in November, so we're going to do uh, Oz the Great and Powerful in March, stuff like Iron Man 3, that's all up for it. So, yeah, listen to the show. We've got about 85 episodes probably by the time this episode has gone up. So I'm on Masterpiece. You can uh, like the show on Facebook, Masterpiece Cinema, and give us a rating and review on, on iTunes, too. We, we love ratings and reviews. Yeah. And if you guys want to hear me on their podcast, he was on on there yep. talking about Santa Claus too back in December. So that's right. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, made a couple of lost references. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then yeah, if you guys want to check 
uh, check us out on Twitter. You can find us at Animated Podcast. Uh, feel free to email us at animationfascinationpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, visit our website, animationfascination.wordpress.com. I've gotten a bunch of news going up there now. And you can also like us on Facebook just by searching for Animation Fascination. We're almost to 300 likes. We're trying to get there by the end of February. So I think we're almost there. Just 19 more people and we'll, we'll have it. Uh, yeah, and, and then like Josh was saying for his podcast, also feel free to give us a review on iTunes as well. Because the more that we get, the more we'll show up on there. So with that, I'm Mark Vibbert for myself. Matt Quest and our guest host Josh Veal. Thank you guys for listening and make sure to tune in again next time. Later, guys. See you. Up your sleeves, you got a brand of magic never fails. You got some power in your corner now. Heavy ammunition in your can. You got some punch in the Who and how? See, all you gotta do is rub that lamp. And I'll say, Mr. Lancer, what will your pleasure be? Let me take your order, jot it down. You ain't never been like me. <laughs> Life is your restaurant, and I'm your manager. Come on, whisper what it is you want. You ain't never been like me. Yes, sir. We pride ourselves on service. You're the boss, the king, the shot. Say what you wish. It's yours. True dish about a little more baklava. As I'm a column, it try all of column B. I'm in the mood to help you, dude. You ain't never had a friend like me. No, my. No, no. Can your friends do this? Can your friends do that? Can your friends pull this? Of their little hands. Can your friends go? Hello again, or, yeah, that didn't count down. Shit. <laughs> Being worked on since 2017. I mean, not, yeah, 2017. <laughs> 2000, they went to the future and then they came back. <laughs> 2007. This is all they had for us. I can't ever watch The Incredible Hulk without thinking of Ty Burrell as Phil Dumphy in that now, too. Forgot he's in that. He's uh, Jennifer Connelly's new boyfriend since, since, uh... Oh, I thought you meant the Edward Norton version, not that. Yeah, yeah, the Edward Norton version. Or did I say Jennifer oh, Connelly? I meant Liv did. Tyler. Left Tyler, oh. sorry. <laughs> Our recommendations for the week, uh, my, my, yeah, shit. And yeah, I, I actually watch it with, which my, my, yeah, with my tongue that won't work with, <laughs> with Patrick, and he he thought it was really funny too. Robert Shaw, right, Josh? Howard right. Ashman. I don't know why, why I was saying Robert Shaw. I don't know where that name came from. Quint did not have anything to do with us. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It would have been interesting to hear what he had to write. For <laughs> I think why I was thinking Robert Shaw was underwater Jaws. <laughs> so there, there's where my, my train of thought was. Broaded. Uh, broaded? I don't know what the heck I'm <laughs> saying there. Jeffrey Katzenberger. At Katzen, not Katzenberger. Thanks. All right, I'm going to go cry because the saver's lost. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, guys. All right. Bye-bye. See you later, guys.